this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. again oh yes we are <laughs> sorry i'm kind of kind of just recovering from uh what has been a a week that hasn't seemed to have ended since last week so yeah i know the feeling this week has been a little crazy but oh awesome news though of course we have a new logo it's a brand new show yeah <laughs> thank you to drew roulette for drew roulette wow that's really tough to say drew roulette for coming out with uh one of the coolest things I've seen in a while, uh, which um, I kind of have to say. Um, everybody thinks their kid is cute, so um, <laughs> I have to think ours is pretty cute as well. Yeah, I think uh, people thought that that um, logo that I made was serious and that we were going to keep using that. But that was kind of a joke. <laughs> We've actually planned for Drew to do this logo since before we recorded the first episode. Yeah, and I don't know how or why people didn't quite get that. I got the same thing from our side, too, and I had to explain to people that, no, we weren't trying to be the title screen for Miami Vice. We're fine. At a reasonable rate, because I'm playing around with, oh, let me put this here, and let me make sure this is bold, and let me make sure this has a link to this. And most of the time, I don't even end up needing any of the stuff that I'm setting up. It's just I'm using it because it's there. So I don't know. I haven't. I'm bailing on it, but I haven't found where I'm bailing to yet. I have three strong competitors, we'll say. And all of them have their flaws. <laughs> sure. Of course, right? I mean, I, I'm just waiting for, for the day, and I imagine we're probably not far off from that when you just whip out the old notebook again, dude. <laughs> oh, the notebook never went anywhere. As a matter of fact, that was the whole subject of today's vlog. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I 
I record everything on paper, but then I copy it down from paper into digital for later. So there's there's another reason why all these features aren't as important to, for me mm-hmm. is because I'm not doing a lot of capturing in these apps. Gotcha. I'm just inputting, right? Yeah. So the three that I'm looking at, and I'll tell you the problems, and maybe you can help me sort my, <laughs> sort my thoughts on this. <laughs> Uh, so obviously number one, Apple notes, it's been something that's come up in every conversation that we've had about notes and note apps. It's clean. It's simple. Um, my problems with it is the amount of notes I have and the organization of it would be kind of a mess once you put that many notes in there. Sure. And number two, half the time I'm working on a computer, especially when I'm working on my large screen, I'm working on a PC. Mm-hmm. And the iCloud.com interface for notes, which is the only way to access notes on a PC, is awful. I mean, yeah. like I was I was putting stuff in and it was throwing in spaces yesterday because I was testing it out. I'm like, I didn't put that there. But then I go back and reload the page and the space wouldn't be there. I, I just don't know if I can deal with that. So there's there's that one. Simple note, which we've talked about before as well. Um, the problem with Simple Note would be the same problem as Apple Notes. The organization is exactly the same. Yeah. You've got one folder level, except they call them tags, which is kind of nice because then you could technically throw something in two places, but then now we're getting back into complexity. But no formatting mm-hmm. at all and no photos. I don't use a lot of images in, in there, but it would be nice to have the option if I had to. Sure. And then last is one that a lot of people probably don't know what this is. You might not even know what this is. It's called Workflowy. I've heard of it, yeah. Workflowy is actually the top competitor right now. Um, Essentially what Workflowy is, is a giant outline. So all of your, everything is in an outline of a collapsible outline. And I do love outline structure. So essentially you don't have folders, you don't have anything. You have one document. But on your top level is where you're going to create your folders is your first tier of your outline. Mm -hmm. And then when you click that, it drops down and it drops down. And the thing about Workflowy and SimpleNote, as a matter of fact, is the search on both of them is lightning fast. And it's really, really strong. Um, They do one thing that Apple Notes doesn't do. So Apple Notes, when you search for something, it'll tell you that something's in a note. But when you open that note, it doesn't show you where that word is. It doesn't highlight it. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And when you have longer documents, that's kind of important, especially when you're looking for information. Uh, sure. Workflowy and uh, Simple Note both do that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of nice. The only flaw, once again, with for- Workflowy is the interface probably hasn't been updated in five years. I don't know if it needs to be because the features aren't changing, but the iPhone app is not perfect, I guess, is the way to say it. Uh, the, the problem, though, is, I mean, what level of support will you have on that? If the, like, I, I know with a few of the my beloved apps, I can't even think of any of them right now, but um, there are some that, that stopped being supported by their original programmers, and so after a certain update, they just no longer work properly. So that could be a problem. Yeah, the only thing I don't think Workflow is going anywhere because they've been around for a really, really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be exaggerating. I'm actually looking right now, so I can, if I can see, um, and I feel like they're owned by somebody. 
like I want to say like they're owned by Automatic, but that's who owns Simple Note, I believe. I might be confusing all of my information. I've been reading a lot about this in the last few days. Um, and there's uh, another thing I should point out to you and to the listeners. Apple Notes, of course, if you have an iPhone, it's free. Simple Note is free. Workflowy costs money. Um, I don't know. It's it's it sounds like a ridiculous thing to people who don't know me very well, but my note collection. You and I were just talking about this yesterday. My note collection is extensive. Yeah, and I use it frequently. For example, in in my recent vlogs, now that I'm focusing on themes and going into, I'm really digging into ideas more. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm typing these words of these themes into right now into OneNote to pull up, see if there's any pertinent quotes that I can enhance my vlog with. This is data that I'm pulling up on a daily basis. So finding the right note app is actually number one on my priority list in life right now. Sure. That makes sense. And I I just, it's so frustrating because I know what I want and nobody makes it exactly the way I want it. Well, I guess the the question really comes down to how, because Apple Notes is, it, it sounds like a good option. It's just, yeah, you're right. The PC interface is so garbage um, that it's it's almost unusable. It's it's so annoying. Plus, I mean, about the show, not about the particular episode. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, I have I'm I'm copying in eighty percent of something, and then I'm going in and I'm changing the other twenty percent every every week. And that's not a huge deal, you know. I had it saved in OneNote. Well, with Text Expander, I can save that in the Text Expander, and then I can set it up to where it's called a fill-in form. So basically, when I drop it in, you know, I type in whatever the shortcut I have for it while I'm in Reddit. Boom! It fills everything in. Then it, I have a pop-up, and it asks me to fill out the twenty percent that I'm missing, and then boom, it puts it all in there for me. Mm. And it's just incredible, just incredible the things you can do, like. For example, in the videos, you know, they're showing people good to know that maybe they are aware of that, considering that they're not aware of how awful everything about iTunes is. Sure. <laughs> well, I, 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 with iTunes, I think it's more us being held hostage um, versus, you know, because I, I honestly don't think that if, if, if you just jumped into iTunes now, for example, and you had no concept of what it was before the previous, the, the, the you know, the current iteration of the interface, you wouldn't know. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd think it was an amalgam of all of these, these other. Um... And so it's, it's literally like, it's as fast as you go in. On the PC, you have to use the browser. They don't have mm-hmm. like, the app isn't, um, it's not a standalone app. It works throughout Windows in all of the apps that you <laughs> use. It works, but they don't have a standalone app for editing your shortcuts, which is not a big deal at all. Um, but you go in, basically, and you, you know, you want to make a new one. You go in, you go, okay, let's make a new one. Here's what I wanted to say when I, when I use my shortcut. Here's what I'm going to title it so I know what it is. And here's a shortcut. Save. Done. Mm. That's it. And then the, the fill-in stuff isn't much harder. You just say, oh, I need a fill-in thing here. Okay. And it's all it is is dropping short codes in. But it's dropping the short codes in that fills the stuff in for you. And it's, I mean, for things that you're typing over and over again, for example, how often do you type type HTTP colon forward slash forward slash a mm-hmm. lot, right? Well, make a shortcut so that when you type in HTT, it fills in the rest for you. 
Interesting. That's all, crazy. All of those little seconds right there. I mean, imagine how much time you're going to swallow back. Yeah, I mean, I just from that alone, it 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 seems like for me, it's it, it seems, you know, you know, the the difficulty for me is that the the initial understanding of how it works seems a little daunting, and I think that's probably the reason why I've shied away from trying it. Um, but I imagine once you get into the, the 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 swing of things, like how long did it really take you to get used to the interface and how it worked? Four minutes. <laughs> okay, I'll download it. <laughs> it's not it's not what you think it is. It okay. is it's not as difficult as you think it is. It's literally and if you watch those if you watch those tutorials, like because they have great tutorials on their site. Somebody else did them for them, but they're like you know three to five minute tutorial, like oh how to do a fill in. Once you get like a minute in, you're all I get the concept. You uh, might okay. you might watch the other two minutes just because because you know they're going to show you like two more examples, mm-hmm. but. Other than that, I mean, it's it's so basic in the time saving, and we can share stuff. So, for example, I can uh, all the stuff that I set up for this podcast, all the shortcuts I set up for this podcast, I can share it to your account. So, oh, you, so you can use all of those as well. And oh, that's cool. Okay. And they used to be there's there was a lot of hubbub recently about so smiles the company that makes it. Um, the back to work guys are big fans of this. That's why I know a lot about it. They recently changed their model. So Smile originally had text expander as you purchase the app, you use the app forever. You know whatever they call it, legacy, I guess. Um, now they re- they just changed to the subscription model, which is like it's like four something a month. Uh, sure. And people freaked out, and it's it's kind of ridiculous and silly, but you know whatever. People are going to freak out about anything and everything, which actually transitions us to a topic that is worth mentioning as well: the Instagram rebrand and people freaking out about a rainbow icon. Yeah, I think it's so inconsequential. I mean, don't get me wrong; the the interface changes are are more consequential to me. They're you know, for a guy who uses um, Instagram for quite a few different purposes, uh, very few of which are personal, um, having a consistent interface is kind of nice. Um, and especially from my perspective, um, I felt like the things that changed didn't need to change. Um, well, for, for the first thing that was a little frustrating to me was how messages worked or comments worked within um the, the 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 messaging feature not the messaging in the comment section if you tagged another person's name it now defaults you to sending them the person a personal message or sending them the the image itself um, in a direct message versus just tagging them directly in the post um, and that doesn't seem like a big deal but it's an extra two clicks for me on my phone whenever it is that I want to share a post with someone or tag someone in a post and that's that's kind of annoying that's that's one of you know, a couple of different features that are, are different from what I'm used to when it comes to how Instagram's interface allows me to communicate with other people within the scope of a post. So, I mean, I don't care about the icon. Um, the notifications are, are a little more bubbly and happy. So I guess for, for pure visibility's sake, it makes it easier to, to see the notifications on your phone or separate them from other notifications. But overall, I don't really care. I kind of, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I kind of dig it. Like, it's it stands out. There's a not. A, I mean, I have so many green and white and blue apps on my phone. I mean, like it seems like everybody is gonna make an icon that color. So to have a crazy different yeah. icon, sweet. It's in a folder. I, you know, I have it hidden in a folder. I look. I'm like, there's Instagram. I can spot it mm-hmm. while it's mm-hmm. tiny in the folder. I'm cool with that. 
But in the long run, even if I didn't like it, I don't care. Yeah. It's it's a minor point. It doesn't change functionality at all, and it doesn't ultimately affect um, how how the, the the UX is. So I don't I don't really I don't really care one way or the other. <laughs> and you know me, I don't really care about Instagram in general, anyhow. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That's I, true. I use it I use it as a photo poster. That's it. It's not yeah. a social, it's not a social media to me. It's a tool. Yeah, and I can't I can't remember the yeah I can't remember the last time I really took Instagram seriously as a, a form of communication among friends. Like I might post on my personal Instagram once a week at best now. You know what I mean? Versus how I use it for business, uh, where I, I have schedules and I'm using Hootsuite and all that kind of stuff. So Instagram's interface is almost irrelevant to me at this point. Yeah, it's just I don't know. Most of this stuff is irrelevant to me in the long run. It's like I one one dies, one changes, whatever. You know, yeah. it's that that market. It's gonna, you know, something croaks, another thing will pop up. It doesn't matter. We're just gonna spend our lives jumping from apps to apps. People are looking for like these. They're looking at this stuff the wrong way. They're thinking, you know, like, oh, this is gonna be with us forever. No, it's not. No, there's no, no way. I mean, even even Facebook is not gonna be with us forever, um, or at least Facebook in its current form. And they have um, the biggest you know, I, chance. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to be honest with you, I, I have a feeling that that Facebook staying power will still be pretty good going into the next decade. But I think it's 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 a limited clunky interface. And I think ultimately, it's going to evolve. Some other companies going to evolve a better version of social networking that we'll all latch onto. You know what I mean? That's it's the, it's the nature of this this kind of technological environment. Um, there's almost there's almost no true mainstays other than hardware. And even the hardware um, has a tendency to evolve past a, a certain a certain obsolescence, um, and then we adopt the next thing as as what we consider to be, um, you know, everyday technology. I think part of my thing too is like, social media to me was always a thing to share, but it was never a thing to communicate to me. I, I don't. I think that's the problem I've always had with Facebook. Is like, when you post something, all of a sudden people have opinions on it, and I I don't I have problems with people's opinions, but it's. It's not necessarily that that's what I'm, I'm not trying to open a dialogue every time that I share something. Sometimes sure. I'm just like, this is cool. And you might like looking at it and, and that's it. And it's, yeah. it, it, that maybe was a, a kind of a jerk way to say that. And I didn't mean it like that, but I mean, from the business standpoint, not from the way people use it, because people are going to use it the way that these businesses set it up, mm -hmm. you know, you know, regardless, but the way that they set these things up is they want us to believe that they're. They're bringing us together. They're not bringing us together. They're allowing us to share things. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that end, you know, like, for example, going back to your Instagram thing about how it wants you to directly message now because it's trying to become a messaging app in some, in some sense, right? That's why it's doing sure. it. They, they want mm -hmm. that because when you direct message a post to somebody, you, they're, they're all jumping on the Snapchat thing. Like sure. why? Why does Snapchat work? Why is why is Snapchat successful? Oh, because when you send something to someone, they have to look at it. If they look at it, they saw it. You know, whereas whereas everything in Facebook is passive, it has a more active manner. So by forcing people to, or not forcing, but trying to steer people into direct message, they're trying to grab a little bit of that magic. Yeah, and there's definitely a forced interaction there too, and I think that. You know, it's funny because because when when I, I I was pretty critical of Snapchat when they turned down the multi-billion dollar deal um, to purchase them way back in the day. And now I'm, I, I, 
I'm I'm now finding myself going back on that. You know, maybe it was a very smart decision for them to hold on to um, their interface and their functionality. And I I mean, don't get me wrong though. I don't know how much of it is is just incredibly intuitive foresight and just dumb luck when it comes to the 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 business world, but. I definitely do think that they did make a right choice now by holding on and not selling at the time in which they were offered the deal that they were offered. So it's it's interesting though. It's 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 it's. I'm curious just as to to what the landscape is going to look like now. Now that they're they they've gained such a strong and rabid user base. Yeah, so we'll see. It's an interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they end up monetizing because. Other than within direct messages, there's not really a way to link to other things. So you're not going to be sending mm-hmm. people the products. Um, and I understand, like, it's a content creation thing. It's very much in a way, it's like YouTube in the sense, of, you know, like you're viewing this. But at the same time, even among YouTube users, there is a, ne- a necessity for notes within in, and links within the description. So video doesn't always fill that that gap 100%. So how they're going to monetize that will be an interesting thing. They're getting some very interesting deals. They're making some very interesting influential influential choices. I think they're they're changing the landscape a lot. But they they might run into the Twitter problem of where's the money coming from. Sure. And it's it's interesting too like in in describing, you know, because that was one of the first thought experiments that popped in my brain when Snapchat was starting to roll back um into its prominence was you know how our business is going to use this in order to 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 monetize, and I think that the the only place I've seen it used really really well is um, um, you know with companies allowing certain people to take over their Snapchat channels. Uh, for example, there you know there are golf companies in the golf world that allow certain golf pros to just basically take control of their Snapchat for a day, so you get to see a much more personal view of their lives. It's it's actually a pretty interesting way to. To, to define your brand and to show off the, 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 the people you endorse, you know, it's, it's pretty cool actually. So, you know, for, for, for me, it was really interesting to see how certain golfers, um, went about their days when it came to tournaments or, or preparation or whatever it was. So for me, that was actually a really interesting, really interesting glimpse into not only the, the business itself, but the people who, who support that business. So it's, it's, I actually find it to be a, 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 a I, I actually don't think monetization will be that difficult. In a lot of senses, I feel like it's going to be a very strong loss leader with very, very little downside and a lot of upside. I think there's a an inherent intimacy to Snapchat that um, I mean, like even the first time, like I I pulled that app and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to, you know, this was way before I started vlogging, but I was like, I don't know if I want to talk to the camera, and and there's an in, there's an intimate thing there, and leveraged correctly it's very powerful i just can't i can figure out how brands are going to make money off of it i just don't know how snapchat's going to make money off of the brands um sure you know like i think that uh, i'm i'm sure somebody's doing it but like you know fashion shows and stuff like that on snapchat amazing idea yeah it's a great idea imagine the stuff you know like anything product based that's on snapchat if they if somebody's doing it right it can be magic. I've heard the Taco Bell Snapchat is amazing. Yeah, it's really funny, actually. <laughs> and and that's uh, I think that there. That was the big surprise to me about Snapchat was you know Snapchat it was like a little kid thing, you know like oh you make the funny face or whatever but somehow it tapped into something in all of us that was like yeah I kind of like being silly, 
I kind of yeah. I kind of like making myself into a unicorn that pukes a rainbow, and for brands to step out of you know the stuffiness and and do stuff where they're just like drawing sloppily on the screen and and stuff like that, that is opening them up to us in a way that they've never opened up to us before, and there's a magic to that. Yeah, and I think the the I think it's 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 this movement towards. What I'm starting to see a lot in the advertising world, because I still do work a little bit in that world too as well, is that a lot of the, the design firms um, and ad agencies are getting younger. And I think because of that, they're, you know, if we, if we look at Facebook and even if we look at Instagram to a certain extent, they, they, there's a certain sense now that they take themselves a little too seriously. Um, and, you know, I think, I think looking at the, the memorable ad campaigns over the last you know, two decades, like we think about, um, you know, the, the Jack, the Jack, uh, campaign with Jack in the box, you know, what, uh, what also pops to mind in my head is the, the old spice commercials with <laughs> the myriad of just insanity that, that, that they've gone through with their, their ad campaigns. And even lately, I, one of the ones that, that caught my eye was, um, I believe it's N- Northern, the toilet paper company, Mm-hmm. Um, but they were making fun of hipsters. Um, and so what they did was they were, they released a, a bunch this commercial that was really long, actually, that was talking about artisan toilet paper. Um, <laughs> and, and they were doing things like original birch and like unfinished. And it was really, really funny. It was hilarious. And it showed this, you know, bearded guy with the slicked back hair, like your, your typical hipster, like, you know, just carving away at this piece of, piece of redwood. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and it showed this woman, you know, who had just used the toilet paper and she sits down all gingerly because, you know, it's coarse toilet. It's basically tree bark. Right. And I thought it was really funny. And I thought that it was because how interesting can you possibly make toilet paper? You know what I mean? And at that point, you know what toilet paper does. So there's not really any unique technology that can go into a piece of paper um, that's going to make it revolutionarily different from any other piece of toilet paper you're going to use. Right. So how do you make your brand recognizable? you make something really, really, really funny that people will latch onto and share. And that's exactly what they did. And I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I think that that's, um, that's the advantage of these younger people getting into the advertising field. You know, the, like you have Gary Vanderchuk's, um, his, his advertising firm. They're just looking at all these, like he keeps plugging musically, which is like, just like a, I guess it's like a karaoke app or something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But just like looking for these new avenues, mm-hmm. it's so refreshing because for so long, advertising was about doing the same thing, doing it the same way, using yeah. the same, you know, like getting this down to a science. Now it's about experimentation because you know what? With the internet, you would think that we would have more analytics. But in reality, the more analytics you get on stuff like this, the less information you have. Sure. And look, look at our analytics on our on, on this podcast. I can tell you how many downloads we had. I can't tell you how many people listened to it. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how long they listened. I can't tell you what age they are. I can't tell you what sex they are, what country they're in. All I can tell you is downloads. That's it. Yeah. And it's 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 the same with social media, all these other things. You know, like Snapchat, there is no analytics. You just, you know, it's like, did people view this? Yes. And I think that's what people are loving about it is, it's just it's boiled it down to one thing mm-hmm. where it's like, did I get views? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think that there's there, that's funny that you say that because it goes back to one of the very early topics we spoke to on the or spoke on uh, on the podcast, uh, which is 
how useless metrics are when it comes to certain social media platforms like Instagram, for example. Uh, the number of views and the number of likes is the only metric you have. I mean, unless you physically go through and and look at every single like and every single view, you have no real clear idea about whether who your cross section is. You just know that it's it's being viewed. And I think in a lot of ways, that's I'm starting to see that as more and more helpful. Um, I originally thought that it wasn't because I I, I, I I cared so much about the data. But now, because I don't focus so much on the individual pieces of data, I can just create content that I know will be seen, you know? Right. And, and the thing about these analytics, too, is just like, how far can you dig into it, really, to get, you know, like, sure, I even if I could tell you, like, YouTube, I can tell you what sex and what age group and all of these other things. I can, I can tell you all of that. But what mm-hmm. I can't tell you is whether people liked it, whether yeah. they were paying attention, what sure. about it they connected with. You know, all of those things, those are the most important things. And those are the things you're never going to get without, you know, without interviewing your own audience. Sure. How do you feel? I mean, what, because I, I know with your, your, your vlog, the, the views kind of spike and there's, there's an ebb and flow to it. Um, have you found any useful morsels of data that allow you to, to figure out what works and what doesn't? Uh, no, <laughs> what I, what I, what I can tell you is this, this is what I've learned when some people don't feel like watching. It seems like almost everybody doesn't feel like watching. <laughs> wow. That's weird. That's gotta be a timing thing. That's you know, and it's weird. There's a, there's a weird phenomena that I've been noticing. It, it, it keeps evolving and changing. You know, like I used to, people talk about the first uh, 24 hours of YouTube video is the most important. And it definitely is. There's no doubt about that. But I've noticed that uh, for my vlog in the last maybe two weeks, mm-hmm. it's expanded to almost 36 hours. I will get, I will look, and sometimes I'm like, whoa, I got like no views. And then I just, you know, move on. I'm on the next vlog. And then when I'm going through YouTube to do something else, I'll see everything all grouped together and I'll see that one video that had like no views. And I'm like, whoa, that was the biggest video of the week. All of a sudden, it got a ton of views, but it happened way after that initial 24 hours. I think with vlogs, it's a little different. I mean, I think that the viral video thing definitely matters much more within the first 24 to 48 hours. But with vlogs, especially if your your viewership is consistent, I think that people watch it when they can. Like I know with me and your vlog, for example, I, I, I typically end up not watching them on the days that they're published. I usually watch them. Um, you know, I, I binge them two or three at a time and I usually do it at, at the beginning or the end of the week. So I know that, that at least from that perspective, because the, the content, you can expect the content to come out at a certain time that I have no real sense of urgency to watch it right away. So that actually makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for example, like I'm looking at, at my YouTube right now and I've got five of Casey Neistat's videos in the bank that I haven't watched yet and two of Wheezy Waiters. So, you know, so like I'm, I'm doing it myself and it's true. When you're putting out daily content, it's hard It's hard to believe that people are going to watch it every day. Yeah. They might watch all of them, but they're not necessarily going to watch them every day. Um, yeah. I try to because it's really fun to you know check in, especially on Casey because and, and, he's inspiring. So just to see him once a day, it gets me going. But obviously, I've gone five days, so I'm not pushing too, <laughs> too hard for that. Uh, speaking of YouTube, uh, that steers us into a topic I wanted to bring up. Um, YouTube is building in a messaging app within this actually relates to the 
Instagram thing too. Mm-hmm. And to me, this makes a huge amount of sense because actually at one point I had tweeted YouTube and said, um, is there a way for creators on YouTube to communicate to each other better? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some, like you've got your, especially in the vlog community, you've got your fellow vloggers. These are, you know, these are your, as I called it in my video, my YouTube gang. And you're, you're checking out their stuff. You're helping them. They're helping you. They're checking out your stuff. But sometimes you need to communicate and you don't want to do that in the comments of a video. You know, especially like if you're planning a collaboration or something. But you might not know these people well enough to be like, here's my phone number. Sure. So I... I Seeing that they're making a messaging app, I think that's huge. But I, I, I still think they need to, to work on the way the comments work. It's, it's really, really hard to keep up with comments as a YouTube poster unless you go straight up to the internet and you go to the video and scroll down. You know, like, and that's using all the notifications to keep up. It just doesn't work. You know what I'm really curious about? Speaking of messaging, this is kind of off topic, but but on topic in a weird kind of way too. Is I'm I'm curious as to which one of the 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 viewing platforms, uh, you know, Netflix, HBO Go, Amazon Prime, which one's going to have a live messaging feature first. Um, the reason I'm really curious about that one is, can you? I think something that's really missing from from a lot of the experiences that we have with TV shows is the ability to sit in the same room with friends and watch something. You know what I mean? So I actually, I'm I'm curious as to whether or not anyone's actually going to try that. Oh, there was there was some uh, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called Glue, and then it became something else. There was a sort of social media. It was it was an earlier time, so it might not have fit into that bubble. Um, but essentially, the you would follow people just like you do on a social media. But when you would um, watch a TV show, for example, all you could do on this thing was I'm watching this or I'm reading this, mm-hmm. and then you could talk back and forth with other people who were watching it or reading it at the time. And sure. it that I think it was ahead of its time. But you're absolutely right. And if I were to put my money on it, I'd put it on Netflix. Netflix is they're the they're the they're the ones who's always ready to go into no man's land first. Everything yeah. everything everybody else has done is followed them. Yeah, but I am still concerned for Netflix. I mean, it, the, Netflix is definitely one of those companies that's very similar to um, Facebook in the sense that we always make the natural assumption that they're always just going to be around. But I'm curious as to how far HBO Go and Amazon Prime are going to give them. A run for their money when it comes to to the the future of 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 you know live stream or um, of of streaming, uh, just because I mean I know that the war is kind of brewing between everybody and a lot of it has I I I'm I'm frustrated I, I remember one of the notes that I saw of yours um, which is hilarious because this is all happening real time and I'm watching you move things in Trello. <laughs> uh, it's it's fascinating. It's one of the things that I actually wanted to talk to you about when I saw the original note, which was you know to this day there is still no. Um, there is still no Amazon app for Apple TV. Um, the Amazon Prime video app still has no Chromecast support. And I wonder how much of a war is, 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 is brewing in the background when it comes to how these streaming, these streaming companies are ultimately going to you know, drop the landscape when it comes to the content. Well, I wasn't aware that there was no Chromecast support. That's kind of strange, though. I mean, what, what competition is there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess Fire TV. Yeah, no, there, yeah, maybe there's there's no Chromecast support, um, and also 
which is weird because for for Netflix there is Chromecast support and YouTube there's also Chromecast support. So I don't know how or why Amazon's um, video team decided not to do that. I think that they're making a lot of mistakes. Like that the the choice not to be on Apple TV for this long is mm-hmm. stupid. I was actually literally just reading something maybe an hour ago um, where somebody was saying that they thought that the reason that Apple I mean that Amazon had chosen not to do an Apple TV app wasn't for the same reason that everybody thought. Everybody thought it was like a, you know, a a middle a big middle finger to Apple. Um in reality, what this person was saying, they thought it was about the percentage, mm-hmm. you know, because Apple would take 30%. And looking at Amazon's track record with Apple, I believe that that's probably true because um, if you look at the Kindle app, you can't buy a Kindle book in the Kindle iOS app. You have sure. to sign on to Amazon, buy it, and then go back to your phone or iPad and now you can now you can read it. What well, I think that what Amazon is gearing themselves up to, and this is a lot of this is a lot of background stuff um, that a lot of people don't really pay attention to. But Amazon is one of the biggest um, cloud companies in the world. So a lot of the the cloud backbones that a lot of companies operate on are are Amazon uh, Amazon clouds. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, I think that what Amazon is attempting to do is 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 forcing people into their ecosystem before the ecosystem exists. And I think that ultimately their goal is to create an ecosystem kind of like Apple's where it's it's a one-stop shop and, and everything that you need to do from a productivity or entertainment perspective can all be done through an Amazon cloud. And right now I think that they're preparing people for that, but I think they're jumping the gun because most of the tools and most of the the the, 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 the avenues that you need for entertainment are not quite ready yet. You know, like even the Amazon Prime Video app, for example, is not a great app. Um, Netflix, Netflix's interface is definitely better. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what that landscape is going to look like moving forward. But I definitely think that Amazon is trying to create an amalgam of all of these different ecosystems and and create one kind of end all be all um, ecosystem that everyone will have to rely on for both productivity as well as for entertainment. And I wonder, I wonder, I mean, there's part of me that initially thinks that's, that's dumb. And then another part of me is like, maybe it's smart. But ultimately, I think that this idea of forcing people into ecosystems um, from a narrow business point of view, it's very, mm-hmm. it's very smart. Um, for a long term, it's very dumb. Uh, for example, not having that Amazon app on the Apple TV means I haven't watched a single thing on Amazon Prime since i got the apple tv nothing not one show nothing Mm -hmm. and i I rely so much on my chromecast um that i will essentially live in you know and i have an amazon prime account and i paid annually but i'm kind of regretting that now just because i i don't use amazon prime video or or music because neither of them have chromecast support and i'm using chromecast so much for my other stuff you know i don't want to watch my my amazon prime movies on my phone and i i also don't want to open it up in a browser window and because you can still you can you can actually still just Chromecast from a browser window from right. the Chrome browser itself. Um, but I don't want to go through all that. I mean, I want to watch it on my phone. I control Netflix through my phone and I can Chromecast through my phone. So why why not let me just do that if you're you know, so that's that to me is is um, a kind of a weird oversight. I'm not sure what Amazon's ultimate strategy is with that. But if they're going to if they're going to force people into an ecosystem, that ecosystem better exist. <laughs> there's a lot of and that's why I think that like 
some of it is smart business choices and some of it is just bad because there are certain things where I'm like, no, this is proof that they don't, that are not maniacal enough to have a beautiful plan. For example, like, like just looking to like, okay, you want to watch a TV show in Amazon prime, right? It pulls up the episodes a la carte, which is just like, if I type in, I go in and I type in, um, I don't know, Firefly. It's not going to just go, here's Firefly the show, and then I click on that and show me all the episodes. It's going to parse out every single episode, and I have to scroll through the interface. This And this is on their own website. Scroll mm-hmm. through the interface, go to the next page, go to the next page, until I find the episode I want. And that's not, not good user interface in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and, that's bad news. And another thing that baffles me, too, is that YouTube's app on Apple TV there's no way to like a video. Mm-hmm. That's the core feature of YouTube is liking videos. Yeah, that's kind of a surprise to me. I'm shocked that they didn't do that. Um, it's not like it would be hard. It's a two-button system. Like, dislike. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's very, very strange. I, I don't understand how or why that's the case with, with, with YouTube. Um, considering how... how and that, that has to be an Apple side thing, not a YouTube thing, because I think the, the folks over at YouTube are smarter than that. But, but I could be wrong. I, I don't know. Here's what I think. I think that they're getting ready to phase out the thumbs up and thumbs down. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I know for a fact that they've been focusing their analytics, um, not their analytics, I'm sorry. They've been focusing their, the, the way that you get featured as a YouTuber um, is based on a score. Mm-hmm. And the score used to be based on views and likes. Now it weighs heavily more on watch time and subscriptions. So a channel that has more subscriptions and longer watch time, it's based on percentage, obviously. So like if I have a five-minute video and people only watch 30 seconds, I have a low score. But if I have a five-minute video and 90% of my people watch all five minutes, I have a high score. And that's weighed more heavily than the likes. So I think they're they're moving to a TV uh, to a TV ratings model, which, in a sense, to me seems a little bit smarter. Um, but I also don't understand how then a, a, a user or a content creator can actually use that to gauge the success. I mean, what metric shows up on the actual video itself, if if not likes or views? Well, anybody that puts up a video, you you have access to vast analytics. YouTube's analytics for the creators is vast. I can, I mean, I can go into, here, let me click it right now, and I'll tell you all of the, well, maybe not all of them, I'll tell you a few of the fields that you can see. I mean, I've already mentioned that you can see age, sex, but even the age group, it's broken into age groups. It gives you a percentage of your audience for that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to, so I have the first thing that pops up, this is just more proof for me. I click overview of analytics. The first analytic that pops up, it's watch time. Average mm-hmm. view duration is number two, then comes views, then estimated revenue. Gotcha. So, I mean, when you break down in this, like I can see, I have 77% of my viewers are in the United States. It, it, I can see what browsers are using. The, the, Analytics are insane in YouTube, mm. but it's Google, so don't be surprised. Do you find do you find most of those analytics actually useful? I I don't get caught up in analytics. Um, mm. I just I feel like like we're going back to what we were saying. 
it doesn't it doesn't tell you as much as people think it does. You know, like okay, I can say like my number my number one watch time for what is this? I don't know what the what the time period I'm looking at right here for the last month. There it is. My la- my my top video is uh, the one about Sarah and Colin's garage sale. Yeah. Now, I <laughs> am I supposed to uh, am I am I supposed to say oh well, that means people like watching uh, people's yard sales? Maybe. Does that mean that people like Sarah and Colin? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or could it just be that? Joy and Sarah look beautiful in the thumbnail that I put up and people wanted to click on two beautiful girls. That's probably the likely one, but I can't say for a hundred percent. And and that's what I mean. Like I don't get caught up in the analytics because how much time do I have to really sit around and decipher all of that? I just stick to putting, cons- putting stuff up and moving forward. And considering what your vlog is intended for, I'm sure that 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 that's ultimately it's not about that anyway. So that makes sense. It's just it's insane. I mean, these people get too wrapped up in this stuff, and then it, I think that when you get too wrapped up in in analytics as a creator, mm-hmm. uh, it sets you up for disappointment because you're going to yeah, sure. you're going to find that what you think you're you're interpreting it's going to lead to disappointments because you're putting so much into it. Um, and what you should be focusing on is whether you're making stuff you like. Sure, and I think that's that's ultimately the thing too is that you, if you focus too much on analytics, then you end up you end up starting to to whether you like it or not, you're going to pander. You know, that's just the nature of that. And I think that that's the the struggle that I keep trying to to push through with Crystal is that you know obviously she's not she's not inherently a creative person when it comes to marketing or advertising, so she's very much focused on what her audience wants. Um. And I keep telling her that at least on some level, it can't be about what your audience wants. It has to be about what you want. What would you watch? You know, what would you care about seeing if you were if you're a part of your own demographic when it comes to what you're projecting for your sales, then then you don't have to look any further for yourself to find the answer to those questions. You know, what what video would compel you enough to watch it for a minute and a half and what what content would have to be contained within it to keep your interest and or to prompt you to keep watching content from that creator? And that's that's the thing that's important for people to understand. I was actually literally just in a conversation about this um, with somebody in this Facebook group, and what I was saying is like, you as a creator, you dictate what people see. Sure. They decide whether they want to watch it or not, but it's your job to lead, not to follow. It's your job to lead, mm-hmm. and who you get to follow you, those are the people that you want, and the people who don't like it, you know, the people like going back to the killing. People who didn't like the killing, well, guess what? The show wasn't for them. Sure, and that's okay. Just like Lars von Trier, you know, who people who like his movies, cool. Whoever they are, that's for them. And he's not gonna sure. he's not gonna make his next movie more palatable because I hated Antichrist and Pyro, uh whatever. <laughs> Pyromaniac. <that's laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and and that's that's because they're creators. And, and that's what you have to decide. Are you a creator or are you a marketer? Yeah. Because a marketer is nothing but um, analysis and all these things. But at a, say, at a certain point, a marketer makes a choice too. It's interesting that you put it that way. 
Um, but that's very much the case. Um, you know, when you're, we, I remember my design world, um, you know, in my early twenties when I, when I was fresh and young and wanted to, to do design for the rest of my life, I remember at some point an art director asking me that same question, you know, are you, are you into marketing? Are you into creating? Cause those are two inherently different things. And at some point you have to choose one or the other because there's no real way to do both, um, and be successful at both. Um, you, you, but his his ultimate kernel of wisdom that stuck with me was if you create original content that's really interesting to you, then it will it will be successful whether you like it or not. And I think that that's an important point to 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 keep for for anyone out there who is creating content. You know, don't pander to an audience. Just create quality versions of what you like, and the audience will find you. Absolutely. And and one of your notes here is about how it, it literally says John Malkovich is an amazing weirdo. And yeah. Why? But we love John Malkovich. Those people who love John Malkovich love him because he's doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. He makes the movies. He picks the roles that he wants to do. He's not pan. You know, people aren't telling him, "Oh, well, we we sure wish that you would play the president of the United States." He's not worried about that. He's worried about some weird, crazy role that he wants because he's a weirdo and he's happy with that. And that's yeah. the way we like him too. And it's funny that you say that because I, I I don't really think of John Malkovich when it comes to content creators, but you know he's he's very much his own content creator in the sense that when I see Malkovich's name attached to a movie, the the chances of me watching that movie have exponentially increased. You know, like I think there's there's one out there. Um, there's a movie called Rounders. Um, that's I was about- going to bring it up too. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Where, you know, it's it's basically Matt Damon's journey through the the underground CD cash game poker world, and John Malkovich is this this like this this honor driven old school successful poker player, and he has this he has like one of the worst Russian accents I've ever heard in my life in that movie, <laughs> and and this this one line just sticks out to me is like pay this man he's miani, and like I'm like dude Malkovich, what accent is that? I don't I even flash the pot whenever that fiac I want. <laughs> Yeah, it's so, like almost uh, Swedish at certain points. Yeah, exactly. And I don't understand. I don't have. I don't have. You but know, it's like, oh, so what? good, though. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely incredible. But you're right. Like it's 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 because he's such a strange guy, and his products are very much handpicked by him. So in a in a very in a very defined way, he is a content creator, even though he is he is the both the creator as well as the participant when it comes to the content itself. Yeah, and I mean he's. I mean, acting is creation. You have to create a character and you sure. have to embody that. If you're a good actor, um, you have to embody that character. You have to bring them to life. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of people don't know, but these actors are building backstories of these characters that you're never going to know anything about. But they've mm-hmm. built it up, especially if they're method actors. Sure. Um, which I'm, is, I don't think Malkovich is a method actor. I don't know if he is. I feel like I would know that if he was. Um, what have you been watching? Um, I went and I watched, um, uh, Civil War, uh, Captain America, uh, Civil War. Um, and I feel about Civil War, like I think you might've felt about Age of Ultron from the Avengers, um, in that it was probably one of the most fun movies I'd ever seen. Um, I absolutely loved that movie and I loved, I loved it on many levels. Um, 
And I, I highly re- it, it, in my opinion, thus far is the best Marvel movie um, in that collection. And that is saying something considering how much I liked some of the other movies. Wow. So that that one's definitely on my list of I mean, I thought Age of Ultron was pretty good, but Civil War just blows it out of the water. It is such a good movie. Um, and, you know, it's 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 a movie that is accessible by all ages, but still has an air of seriousness that that adults can can really gravitate towards. Because I think for me, that's where The Force Awakens kind of falls short um, in that it's not really adult enough for me for me to, to take it seriously versus um, a movie like Civil War, which dealt with some very interesting social issues um, on top of being a very fun action movie. And it also injected humor in parts that I didn't think were possible in a movie as serious as it was. So I actually really, really liked it. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to see it, but I hate going to the theater. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I had I had to go see it on a random Monday. I, there's no way I, I I steer clear of of movie theaters on opening weekend like plague. So I didn't even attempt to see it on the the opening weekend. I waited uh, uh, at least four days later. <laughs> but I did go to the theater recently. I, w- I went for Mother's Day because my mom wanted to go to see a movie, and the crazy the weirdest thing happened to me when I'm in there. I've never experienced this before, and it it's just a symptom of of modern times. I'm sitting, it's a small theater that we went to, and I'm sitting in my seat, and there's like two, I think two rows in front of me, and then there's that gap, you know, there's always a gap of seats for the mm-hmm. walkway, there's the gap, and then there's people down there, and then two two rows in, in front of that gap, there's this this woman, and she's watching television on her phone while we're waiting for the movie to start, um, which is fine, you know, whatever, but it's kind of trippy, like mind blowing where I'm like, she's watching TV waiting for a movie. But then I realize that she has it loud enough and the screen is big enough that I can watch too. (laughs) And she's watching bones, which is a show I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I realized that she's watching episodes from this current season, which I haven't started watching yet. And I realized that I am trapped in the seat and this woman is po- quite possibly about to ruin a season of a TV show for me because oh, I can't not hear it. And as much as I'm trying to listen to, you know, the people around me talk and stuff like that and not look at the screen, of course, that's what my brain wants to hear. My brain sure. wants to see. And <laughs> that is a weird, weird experience. Wow, that's interesting. I never, yeah, I guess that makes sense, though. I mean, I'm shocked that you didn't have headphones in. That's kind of odd. What movie did you end up going to see? What did you guys watch? Uh, Mother's Day. <laughs> that's that was what, what the movie was called. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea that was even a movie. Me neither. It wasn't mm. half bad, considering that I expected it to be 50 times worse. Um, it was kind of funny. I don't know. Nothing I want to talk about. But what I do want to talk about comic book wise, though, is so you remember I complained about that Justice League cartoon mm-hmm. and how oh, I didn't complain, but I said it wasn't as good as um, the Marvel Avengers cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to eat a little bit of crow on that because the second season of that was pretty fantastic. Like there was a few episodes of this Justice League cartoon that I was I had found myself looking up at the screen going whoa this is is this for kids and and it just is it was very well written and very dramatic and yeah. and i was it, there's 
I'm, I'm at a loss for words. It just kind of blew me away. And then because of that, I started watching the Flash TV show. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just think I just saw it and I clicked it. And it's really good, too. Like, really good. And, yeah. I mean, I'm addicted to it. And yeah, I'm shocked. I actually really liked it, too. It's, it's something about it. Um, there's something about the vibe of it that reminds me of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, the quirkiness of the characters, the way the characters interact. Um, you know, like where they have people from the Arrow, which I haven't seen, but they have people from the Arrow showing up in there on a regular basis. It feels very much like the Buffy Angel thing. Sure. Um, but it's it's really well done, and Tom Cavanaugh is fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I'm I'm surprised to the point that between those two shows, I've always been a Marvel person. Now all of a sudden I'm like I I feel like I need to read some DC comics because I'm now all of a sudden I'm fascinated by the whole you know the Flash and the Reverse Flash and all this stuff like I'm like I don't know what any of the stuff is now I want to read it so I bought a I bought a Justice League trade book and I just mm. got it today and I'm going to read it because now I'm fascinated by DC I actually thought Arrow was pretty good too. Um, if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I definitely you're going to get much more of a Buffy vibe once you start watching Arrow as well. Um, it's actually pretty amusing to watch them back to back. So you know, watching an episode of The Flash and then going over and watching an episode of uh, of um, um, Arrow, just because they do jump back and forth between each other's universes pretty often. It's pretty cool. It's, it's actually really interesting to see them do that. What what network was Buffy on? Um, was it on CW? I, I think it was whatever the CW was before the CW was the CW. Was it the WB? Yeah, they're, they're, that's the same network. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was on the WB. Um, so it's the same network, but it was before the CW changed its name. I wonder if that's why they. I wonder if that's why they went for that vibe. They're like, this really worked. This formula, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't think it was a bad choice. I was shocked. I, I thought it was going to be cheesy and ridiculous, but it's, it's really well done. And I yeah, and I mean, I did I didn't feel any real cheese at all. Like the characters seem really believable. Like the the the, I I think there's a lot of conflict within the character. Like especially with how the Flash kind of starts to develop his powers and use them. He doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and I really like that. Um, and I like how clumsy he is with his powers. Like I I hate it when, you know, like one of my my biggest gripes on Man of Steel, um, that Superman movie, um, beyond the fact that Zack Snyder is. I, I still I have my gripes about that Zack Snyder, but that's beside the point. General Zod, who um, you know is the primary villain in 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 that first Man of Steel movie. Um, so it takes Clark Kent slash Superman slash Kal El his entire lifetime to adapt to using these powers because you know it, all of a sudden just imagine if you just woke up one morning and you could shoot laser beams out of your eyes. You had X ray vision. You had unlimited strength, the ability to fly, um, and pretty much. Un, just limitless invulnerability like you could get hit by a truck and you'd be fine imagine if you just woke up one morning and you had those powers well that's what happens to zod he essentially shows up on on earth and all of a sudden he has these powers there's no way that you would you would not have a dramatic and horrible feel out period of those powers and all of a sudden he can use these powers that to me is just that that's just blatantly irresponsible storytelling, and I feel like the Flash and and Arrow. Well, Arrow doesn't have any special powers, but the Flash is a good example where he's just kind of a bumbling nerd, and he's just trying to figure it all out. And I think that's really, for me, that makes me identify with his character much much better, and and believe that 
that he can exist within the universe and have to make all of these choices in order to become the superhero that we ultimately know that he will become. You know, I think the journey, the journey itself is really interesting. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a surprising amount of complexity. I don't want to, there's, there's, I think, you know, the characters that I'm talking about that are surprisingly complex that you're not sure how you feel about, but I don't want to say it here because it will ruin the show for people who haven't seen it. Sure. Um, but that complexity of like the, knowing that you're like, I don't like this person. Okay, maybe I like this person. It, in a way, it reminds me of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. The way they have the ability to take a character you hate, make you love them, and then make you hate them again. Like Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Oh, I love Jamie Lannister still, though. I know a lot of people. You know why I, I, I like Jamie Lannister? Because when I read the books, I could always kind of see where he was coming from. So I could get why he was a jerk. I mean, it doesn't justify why he's a jerk and why he's so callous and heartless sometimes, but I get where he's coming from. So I can't hate him. Um, I even kind of, I kind of like Cersei Lannister because she ultimately is just trying to protect her kids in a weird kind of way. You yeah. Know? She's so, one of those other duly complex characters where you're like, yeah, absolutely. I hate you, but I totally get you. You know who I've always liked though? Tyrion. Tyrion, Tyrion. Oh. I've always liked. I mean, Tyrion's just awesome. <laughs> I was just saying that to somebody, I think it was two weeks ago when I was watching the second episode of the season, the one character that they could kill off that would have me stop watching the show is Tyrion. Yeah, I think that's me you were talking to. <laughs> oh, it might have been. I might have said it to multiple people, too. Uh, <laughs> I tend to repeat myself. You know, you know. I, it, just on a total side note, you are so fast at Trello that I, I can't even hope to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> you are shockingly quick at dragging things into the topics discuss column. Like the moment a word is halfway uttered, you've already dragged it over. <laughs> It's because I know that I'm saving us so much time on show notes later. <laughs> Jeez, it's so good. It's it's amazing to watch it do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm very curious to see because I, I ultimately think that Marvel has done such a good job of tying all of these things together and even planning their next phase into phase four and phase five and, and having all these shows on Netflix. You know, um, it's funny because we, we think of we think of all of these different phases of the Marvel Universe Um and how finite some of these conclusions may feel. But a lot of these are just preparing for things that are ultimately going to happen more in the future, which is interesting to me. Um, so I'm curious to see, you know, where the, the, the defenders go, what happens with Daredevil, um, you know, where they go with Luke Cage and Iron Fist and everything. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's cool that, that these other characters that we've known to grow in, we've, we've grown to love um, in the movies have, have taken their arcs as far as they've gone. But I really do think that, because they have done such a great job at at creating such a complete universe that once these heroes have kind of had their time in the MCU, that we're ultimately going to transition into an even cooler version of that moving forward. And I think that DC has done the opposite and done such a terrible job at it that I, I, I find... I find myself not even halfway interested in, in a justice league movie. Um, and I, and I, I hate to say that because some of those characters are pretty beloved to me, you know, like the, the only thing, the only bright spot for me now is the, the DC, the DC shows, um, on, on the CW like arrow and, and the flash and ultimately strangely the Batman, the, the Ben Affleck, the Ben Affleck Batmans that are coming out. Uh, beyond that, I don't even care. I don't care at all. I heard Gotham's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool, but it, there's the problem is there's no tie-ins. The 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 universe isn't cohesive, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no like for example, when I watched Civil War, 
the Civil War was basically an Avengers movie, um, but it was it was an Avengers movie with a much broader universe. Like they're introducing Black Panther, for example. They're expanding on Wanda Maximoff, so you know Scarlet Witch gets a lot more 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 time on screen, and 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 so the universe is really cohesive, and there's there's a lot of avenues for people to plug in characters that make sense within. About Age of Apocalypse, go back and watch those movies, and then just put the zipper back on your mouth. Yeah, exactly, and and not only that, but I mean. The class of comic book movies as they are now, I mean, I think it all kind of, be, for me, don't get me wrong, the first Batman uh, with Michael Keaton was pretty good. But for me, the first the first comic book movie that didn't feel like a comic book movie and just happened to feel like a great movie about a comic book was Batman Begins, um, the first mm-hmm. Chris Nolan project where you learn who Bruce Wayne is, you learn how he became what he became, and it was a really well-executed movie from beginning to end like if i didn't know anything about batman i i could care less whether batman existed or not if i just saw that movie as a moviegoer without any preconceived notions or any history on the character i would have loved that movie anyway and it's i mean it's the first comic book movie that took comic books seriously that's why sure Sure, definitely. Everybody else built in a certain level of camp because they felt that was necessary because they're like i know we're making a kid thing for adults mm-hmm. um that's not what he did he just yeah. said, so what's the story? Let's make the movie. And I think that that's why he deserves a place. I mean, he's he's the spawn of all of this. People go back to Sam Raimi. No, Spider-Man was still cheesy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like Tobey Maguire. So take that too, guys. I thought Andrew Garfield was better. Agreed, actually. I'm actually being pretty aggressive today. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's because we're fil- uh, filming, because we're recording late. Yeah, and you've had a semi-frustrating day leading up to this already, so the truth is just coming out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. It's just I I think I get I get tired of hearing people moan and complain about the same thing that everybody else is moaning and complaining about because I don't think that they're really complaining because it bothers them. They're complaining because they're supposed to. Yeah, and it's that oh, that uh, that that goes back to a topic I've had on our Trello list for a really long time, which is there's nothing more annoying and pretentious to me than going on art walks order, um, without having to tap again in order to get to that version of the interface. So I've been using the native app. I mean, technology-wise, the last couple of weeks, I've actually been relatively boring. Um, I've just dove more into... Um, strangely musical collaborations so i've been i've been heavily into that the last couple of weeks and i've kind of left technology to the wayside yeah i um when i was using spark i wasn't a big fan of the separating my stuff i just wanted to see it all together because i'm an inbox zero person so those things don't matter to me um but i've been using the apple mail app myself the built-in one and i've kind of figured out you know even though i've always said it bothers me that there's no snooze I've mm-hmm. kind of figured out my little system, and it's using red and unread. Yeah, same here. I've I've been doing that too as well. So I I think for almost all the native mail apps, or I just, I'm sorry, not all the native mail apps, but all the mail clients, it's just trying to figure out um, because there it's a relatively easy concept when it comes to email. It's just trying to figure out which system has the right tools for what you want to set up. And I think you know because the the native mail app is already built into the phone itself. Um, I have just learned how to make it work for me. Um, even though it's not the best, it's also not the worst, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, 
a bad enough set of problems that I will go out and hunt for a new client and then completely learn how to use a new client from the ground up. I just don't want to do that. Right. Well, I think that what what we're learning in the long run is that perhaps um, some of the feature bareness that Apple provides in its apps in the long run is perhaps beneficial. Yeah, I think I think both you and I go through that. You know, we we find these complex tools and we end up just using the simplest version of those tools in the long run anyway, even though we do dabble in all of these other complicated versions. I mean, yeah, look at our favorite thing right now, Workflowy. Workflowy is about as basic as it gets. And I love it. Yeah, I work flowy though. I love how easy it is. I love how easy it is. I I, I just like looking at it because it's just so simple. <laughs> it's so cool. The search is just, I mean, it, it blows my mind that I'm like, why didn't anybody ever think of like having the search results come up like this? It's so useful. And to contain things like I contain that I'm pulling up search and needing context all the time, the amount of time that it saves me is going to, it makes all of the other stuff that I was talking about, like the complexity, I have to remember, you know, like work stuff goes here and finances go here. All of that stuff, which will become routine after time because I just know that, oh, I need work stuff, go to drive. Um, All of the work that needs to be put into that, I'm going to get all of that time back plus more just with what search gives me and the time it saves. Yeah, and you're right. I, I don't quite understand why no one um, no one thought context was important until to workflow. It's not like no one thought it was important, but no one has set it up so that you can see such a, 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 a deep chain of context like Workflowy. And I think that that's really amazing. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of the apps that I'm like, well, why is this in no tech blogs are talking about this? And it's because it's not flashy. Yeah, definitely true. I think that that's the one thing that we have in this show that is unique to any other show, at least as far as when we talk about tech that we do that nobody else seems to be doing. All of our stuff, all of our problems, all of our thoughts are based in a practicality and a function. Mm -hmm. And you and I, we're interested in Flash, but we're very cynical of Flash, whereas everybody else is like, oh, VR and all this other. I don't care about VR. If it gets to a point where it's useful and it saves me time, now you've got my attention. Because for me, technology is about productivity. And, you know, I think that's where we differ a lot from uh, a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to about tech is that we're inherently tech guys. Um, We just need our tech to do things for our other things, you know, so the tech itself can't stand in the way of that. So for us, for example, we're not a, we're not an app review podcast. We just have apps that we need in order to try to achieve certain other things in our lives. So from a a pragmatic standpoint, I think that our opinions on things like tech are so much more ground in a place of simplicity and ease that I, I think for most people, they're, they're a little more useful. I mean, you know, a lot of the people I know who listen to tech, uh, podcasts or retech blogs are tech people who sit around and mess with apps all day, but I don't, I don't do that. I just, and I don't want to do that. That's never, that's never been a goal of mine, you know? Um, I, and it's funny because at some point in my life, I was really a strong tech guy, but at this point I just want my tech to work so I can do other things. So for me, it's, it's about, it's about making sure that something functions properly and something is easy to use, you know? Yeah. I think like once a week I go through the home screen on my, uh, my phone because I have, all my apps on one screen. I don't do 
the page flipping stuff. It's just a waste of time. Uh, I go through it and go, all right, what can I get rid of? And I'm always just looking for something I can delete because <laughs> when it gets to a point where I don't have any folders, then I'll be a happy camper. <laughs> absolutely brilliant in how they pulled it off i on i mean honestly it's one of my favorite television shows ever yeah and, and it wasn't a lot of people didn't even get it it kept getting canceled and like i know that season three was completely different than season one and two um but in all honesty if you watch the end of season two can you think of even possibly any way that you could have followed that up where people wouldn't have complained i don't think so no i don't think so and i actually kind of i I kind of wondered why they did a season three um in retrospect i mean don't get me wrong like if i hadn't seen season one or season two i probably would have liked season three a lot better but considering that season one and season two existed i'm i don't know if i would have been brave enough as a creative team to try to create something that was so inherently different in season three yeah, season three was of of the four. Season three was definitely my least favorite, but you needed it to get to season four, and I thought season four was pretty good. Yeah, I thought season four was pretty good too, but it, nothing really topped season one and two. Season two in particular was just just absolutely devastating. <laughs> and it's it's by the way, anybody listening right now that hasn't watched this, this is a minor spoiler. I'm not going to give a big spoiler, but... Yeah, I was trying so hard not to throw a spoiler out there. I was trying really hard not to do that. And this isn't going to... I'm not going to tell you, you know, anything about the crime or anything like that. So don't be afraid of that. But if you don't mind knowing a minor detail, you're about to hear one. Season one and two are essentially one season. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to separate the two because it is the same storyline. And that's also a problem that the other two seasons has. It didn't have that buildup. The sure. reason, part of the reason that season two's ending was so powerful, is because you had two seasons of buildup and two mm-hmm. seasons of anticipation and two seasons of questioning and and guessing who the murderer is. And I will say this for a show that I don't think intended to have a twist or a surprise Ugh. it definitely caught me in the in the soft spot you know it hit me in in in, in between the ribs and because i didn't see it coming and oh, you, you how could you have possibly seen that coming There's it's no way <laughs> it's brilliant and i i want to go watch the original mm-hmm. um because it's originally a I want to say Swedish, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was Swedish, yeah. I'll look right now so that we don't make complete fools of ourselves. Not that I think that there are an extreme number of killing fans out there, even though I believe there should be. Well, I, I, I considering who the re- the listenership of our show is, that might actually be not true. I remember when 
there's a few people that I turned on to it. I'm like, hey, watch the watch the first couple episodes, and then I would get texts from them, like, you know, like sarcastic, like, thanks a lot. I've I've done nothing but the last three <laughs> days sit here and watch this show, and that's that's because the right person. It's it's just a powerful show, and I'm having trouble finding the answer right now. But yeah, I remember Brendan was one of those people. I I remember you actually, you know, back when we were hanging out socially a lot more. Um, I remember I remember you continually trying to convince him to watch the show uh, in the same way that I I try to basically convince everyone to watch Hannibal. And I remember you you would push him and push him and push him, and eventually he watched it. And he was one of those people that that eventually just said, "Thanks a lot. Thanks for thanks for the soul crushing defeat." <laughs> John Victorino was another one of those people. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. And then on the other end of it, Giovanni hated it. He watched like three episodes and was like, "This is boring." Really. But it's not his thing. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. that's true. It's it's also a really slow show, and and it requires a certain level of commitment and patience that I don't think certain people have. Well, it's not even that certain people have. You just have to be in the right mindset to watch it. And you got to be I, a cop show, crime show lover. If you don't like that kind of show, it's kind of like you know, like trying to convince people to watch Game of Thrones that don't like fantasy shows. Oh yeah, they're never gonna like it. They're sure. just not. Uh, it was Danish. 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 Gotcha. For Bridelson. Yeah, and I, I have friends.